Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, it's so good to see you. I, it's always a pleasure to be in this incredible sanctuary. I don't know of stained glass windows anywhere like these. I mean, I, I can't think of a place that has these kind of stained glass windows. And uh, I mean, so many of the iconic images of Jesus Christ are just, I, I just love this place. It is so beautiful. And I appreciate what you've done to your fellowship, Paul. I'm going to bring some folks over and show them what, what it looks like when you really renovate. So <laughs> I, I'm grateful for you guys. In fact, I often tell them, um, I said, I said, we've got to fix up our parking lots. Our parking lots look crummy. And they go, what do you mean you've got to? I said, just go look at First Baptist. Just <laughs> Just look, at their, just look at their parking lots. Now, I have to say, though, um, kudos to Bruce Deuce for, for getting rid of the Holiday Inn. We had you beat on that one. Yeah, praise God on that one. Oh. I tell you, I loved you guys. I hated that place. I said, let's tear it down. I mean, so I was so glad. It, but I have to say, in, over the last 20 years, um, we have really done a great job. First Baptist and First Methodist have really done a great job creating a really beautiful corridor as you enter downtown Jonesboro. So I, I appreciate that, and I think it's our, it's our obligation in it, Ronnie, to keep this place beautiful and to um, represent. We, we, we don't want to leave downtown. We don't want to leave the center of Jonesboro. We want to just improve it, and, and I think we've done that. You know, amen, amen, it's, and it's great to see all the young families and young people in, in, in your uh, fellowship hall this uh, evening, you know, uh, I, I know, I don't know many pastors that haven't been deeply discouraged by the last two years, you know, it's just been, and I, I don't know many people that haven't been deeply discouraged by the last two years, it, just, just when you think it's getting better, it gets worse, and so... We, you know, I, I appreciate seeing all this energy and all these folks and coming out with all that's going on. So thank you. And I know we've prayed. Let's pray again. Father, we love you and we thank you that we can share together in this idea of abiding in you. That you are the true vine and we are the branches. And Lord, as we abide in you, you come and make your home in us. And we dwell in you and you dwell in us. I pray for every one of my brothers and sisters uh, this evening that, that whatever else can be said about them, they are attached to you and they abide in you and, and, and walk with you and follow you. And I pray this for myself and for them in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Rodney, as you were talking, I, uh, and by the way, it's kind of nerve-wracking to have Rodney in here. He said, I want to be with you. I said, oh, don't, don't, don't be with me, don't. You know, as, as you talked about this idea of abiding as the central uh, word in the Gospel of John, I never really thought that, although I love the idea of abiding, you know, John, John 15. But one of my favorite messages in, uh, in my lifetime uh, was in John 14, starting in verse 22. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home in them. He, he, says, he, says, he also says, I will not leave you orphanos. And of course, you know what that word is. I'll not leave you an orphan, but I will come to you. And, and the idea that, 
at the core of the Gospel of John, at the core of our lives, is this idea that, that, that our central joy is just to abide in Christ. Isn't that just beautiful? Just beautiful. So that, you know, as I read Rodney's book and as I thought about the Gospel of John, what, this idea of come and see and hear, it's the idea that it's experiential, right? The Christian faith isn't simply theoretical. It's not a mind game. It is literally experiential. So I'm going to, this is a little more people than I anticipated. So, but I'd like you to get with two or three people. And, and I'd like to ask you, what are some ways you experience Jesus best? What are some ways you experience? Just talk among yourselves about ways you experience Jesus um, through music, through silence, through worship. What are some ways you experience Jesus? Just talk to each other, yeah. All right, so what are, what are some of the ways y'all experience Jesus? Just kind of give me a... Music and nature. Music and nature. nature. Yeah, absolutely. What else? Yeah, music and nature. Right? How about over here? Was it? Through prayer, right? And, and Larry. How, what else? So we've got, so far we've got music, nature, prayer... Um, and quiet time, yes, the Word of God, that's right. Yes, yeah, absolutely. The work of God in the world, absolutely. What about over here? Fellowship, oh my gosh, yes, that's right. What else? Yeah, the, yeah stories, right. Tragedies, good for you. I have a hard time with tragedies, but that's good food. That's a Baptist for you. There you go. Hallelujah. You know we uh, we did ice cream socials one summer, and y'all had hand cranked, and we had store bought. I was embarrassed again. That was beautiful. We do, we do. That's so much fun. Um, you know, I, I, I appreciate everything y'all have said. 
And I, I was a preacher's kid. And so, you know, for me, and I'll talk about more about this when we talk about incarnational. But, but for me, I just thought the church, I, I experienced God in the church. I mean, there was just something about church that, did, that's what you, did you really, Rodney? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, just this whole word abide, it tickles me. You know, the NIV is what most of us use now. I used to use the, either the King James or Revised Standard Version, but uh, that's been so changed up, and the, most people use NIVs. And you, NIV, of course, the word is remain, and I really hate that because abide is such a, just a gorgeous word. And so I appreciate Rodney picking that up, this idea of abiding in Jesus. I very much do. Yeah, so church was really a place, but I, I think probably like most of us, by the time I got to college, I was not at all sure what I believed in, even though I was a preacher's kid. And I had a great experience in church. I just didn't know about God, right? Because I really hadn't experienced him like I thought I needed to. I had had nature experiences. I had had music experiences. I mean, all these things you talk about. I'd read some scripture, prayer. I mean, but still, I was undecided, you know. Just And, and so, it, it's interesting. In my freshman year, somehow, I got to reading in a, in a selection of literature. I just read the Beatitudes, you know. Bless are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I don't know, right? I don't know. But I just kind of experienced something. Now, it took me a while to process that, and, and it took me a while longer to be, uh, to really confess, you know, faith in Christ. But that was kind of a start of kind of reintroducing me to this experience of Jesus, and, and in any case, that's John's kind of main idea, this idea that, that he, he will come and we will abide in him and we'll make, he'll make his home in us. You know, that in John 14, he says, uh, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Um, and just this idea of, of living in Christ, I mean, it's just such a great idea. But so we're going to look at Peter tonight. Now, Peter, um, as, as uh, Rodney and others have pointed out, Peter is a really great example uh, for us as Christians because he gets it so wrong, right? I mean, he's, he's just so charmingly stupid, right? I mean, he's the quintessential stupid disciple. And, uh, and he, just, he just misunderstands and gets stuff wrong, and I know... Uh, uh, from what Rodney said, and uh, Rick kind of gave us some, some outline stuff too, uh, we all kind of relate to Peter. I mean, we all sometimes stumble and fall and get back up. But, but Peter is especially uh, difficult. You know, he really struggles with, with hearing what Jesus is really saying. Rodney uh, has a discussion in his book on page... Um, 18. It's, of course, the famous passage, that famous passage from, uh, from John where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. That's 13, isn't it? Just It's 13. So what you're doing, he's getting ready to wash their feet. What you're doing, you won't understand now, but you will understand later. And Peter, acting like he understands now, says, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, 
you will have no part of me. And then Peter, acting like he understands now, then wash my hands and head too. Then, then Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot come. Lord, where are you going? Where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Then Peter, acting like he's going to follow him now, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. You will lay down your life for me. Jesus laughs. I'm telling you the truth. Before the cock, cock crows, you will deny me three times. Later that evening, I told you that I am he. If I am the one you're looking for, let my disciples go. Peter acts like he's not going anywhere, draws his sword, and attacks the high priest's slave. Put the sword up. I shall not drink from the cup of the Father has given me. Servants, persisting to follow Jesus now, Simon is confronted by a servant of the high priest. You are one of his disciples. Peter says, I am not. You know, um, what makes it hard for you to understand? What makes it hard for you to listen to Jesus? What makes it hard for you to understand what uh, Jesus wants you to do? Why don't you take a few moments and talk about where it is you have a hard time, uh, sometimes mis- so you, where it is you misunderstand Jesus sometimes. If you can think of a way that you sometimes misunderstand Jesus, kind of talk about it with yourselves. How's some way you can, you may have to think about that. So you're looking at me puzzled. Let me tell you, let me tell you about me. So being a preacher, when it goes well, is a wonderful thing, right? Now, when it goes south, it goes south really bad. <laughs> I, I'm happy to say it hasn't often gone south with me. I've just had a wonderful life as a pastor and just love what I do so much. Uh, but occasionally, you know, people don't treat me like I expect to be treated. <laughs> and so many years ago now, I had a... Um, I, I had a, a grandma in my church who came to me and says, John, my, uh, my grandson's got a girl pregnant, and they need to get married. Now, of course, what a quaint idea that is, right? You get somebody pregnant, no, you go get married. Well, who would think of that? But back then, you know, in the 80s, people still did the right thing and got married after they got somebody pregnant. Anyway... So that neither one of them, none of them had grown up in church, the grandson, the girl that's pregnant, the family, none of them were church people. And so, uh, I mean, I don't ever charge for anything. I, you know, I get paid a salary and I'm perfectly happy with my salary. And so, it's a, it's a weddings, I hate to say this, and if you're getting married, please don't, or if you know somebody that I'm marrying, please don't tell them I said this. Weddings are a terrible hassle. Everybody's nervous. Everybody's freaked out. Um, it's just, I, I prefer a good funeral to a good wedding any day. I mean, I don't mean, I don't mean a tragic funeral. I don't, don't get me wrong. But, you know, listen, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you've raised your kids, if your kids are gone um, and, and you love Jesus Christ, then, then dying ain't no hill. Now, I'm not volunteering. Right, but it's not a hill. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, if you got kids at home, that's a tragedy. You, if you're a child, that's a tragedy. But, I mean, you lived as long as I have. I want to live more. 
But if I died tomorrow, I would just get on my knees and praise God for, for what he's given me. Right, so I, funerals, funerals for mo- mostly aren't that big a deal. But, but this wedding, so I sit down with this couple and counsel them and talk to them and spend time with them. And, and I go to the wedding rehearsal. It's way out in the woods. They're not going to get married in a church. They're going to get married out at, some, at their house. And so I get ready to do the rehearsal. And, of course, it's not in my usual place. It's not in a church. It's, they've got things set up. And I, I don't know exactly where they want me to do anything. So I'm trying to figure it out. And I, I said, well, we're, we're going to do it right here. No. So the mother suddenly just jumps in. And she starts ordering me around. She starts telling me everything to do. And everything I say, she disagrees with me until finally she looks at me and says, Son, have you ever done a wedding before? And I said, Not this kind. <laughs> so I'm, frankly, Rodney, not used to getting treated like this. Right? I am not used to people treating me like this. And I, I mean, I was, I, was, I was livid when I left that place. I mean, I was so angry. You know how you're, you're so angry, you're talking out loud to yourself, just talking to yourself. I can't believe she treated me like that. I'm doing this for free. I drove out here. I'm taking my Saturday to do this. And then I said it. I said, she's treating me like a servant. She's treating me like a servant, like a hired hand. And I literally had to pull over to the side of the road and just weep. Because you know what I am at the very basic core of my being? I am a servant of Jesus Christ. I am his bond slave. And the idea that a nervous, anxious, upset mother could offend me by being anxious about her little daughter, that I could have so little compassion, that I should, could have such pride in myself that I couldn't listen to her pain. And so I went back as the meekest mouse the next day. <laughs> and she later said to me after the wedding, she said, well, I guess you do know what you're doing. <laughs> but, but so you see, my pride uh, kept me from hearing Jesus. My pride kept me from hearing what Jesus had to say to me. So I want you all to think about what keeps me from really getting it. What keeps me from really following Jesus? I mean, Peter, Peter had his expectations. What are some things that keep you sometimes from really fully getting it? Talk among yourselves for a minute.
All right. So let's uh, let's start over here. What are some things that that uh, cause you to, to to misunderstand and not get it? Busy schedules. Busyness. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Control, yeah. Feelings of inadequacy, oh my gosh, and shame, yeah. Pride, yeah, that's the twin demon, isn't it? Shame on one side and pride on the other. Preconceived notions, that's right, how stuff is supposed to be. What else, what about over here? Some, something else? Understanding God's character, right? Absolutely. Especially when it comes to read a scripture, and it's hard to understand what he meant. Yes, yes. It's hard to understand sometimes what, yeah, what's going on. Anything else? I appreciate, I appreciate those. We had a guest speaker Sunday, um, and... Uh, he talked about one of the great problems of Christianity is our expectation. We, uh, we expect and we don't get. And so we are disappointed or we are put off. Uh, Rodney makes the point that Peter and I think all the disciples expected another kind of Messiah, right? No one expected Jesus to die. In fact, in the, in the other three Gospels, when Jesus announces that he's going to die, Peter takes him aside and says, you can't, you can't do this. And, of course, then Jesus, of course, famously says, get the, yeah, behind me, Satan. Um, not calling Peter Satan, but saying you're embodying Satan, incarnating Satan. So, expectations, just think about for a minute. Uh, Peter's expectation that Jesus was going to be a conquering hero. Uh, oftentimes our expectations that stuff's supposed to go well, right? I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, why did God let this happen? And, uh, and I'll tell you, um, there's only one answer to that. And it's, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I ain't God. And, and I don't, I try never, when people ask me that, I try never to really give them a negative response because they're not, they're not really asking a question, are they? I mean, we'll, we'll talk more about that with Martha. I mean, there's that kind of lament that's a part of the Christian life. But part of the lament is you expect something, right? You expect something different from what you're getting. And so... Peter expected a conquering hero, and he wasn't ready for the suffering servant, and he had to learn. Um, sometimes we expect things to go our way, and, and they don't, and we have to learn. I'll tell you, 2020 was a great lesson for all of us in expectations, wasn't it? I mean, I remember sitting, I, I went to a seminar first of 2020, and I was just hearing from China about the, this flu that was coming. And I was just so smug. Things were going, we were just about to finish it. our youth and children's building. And things were going great. And our ministries were growing. And I'm just, I'm just fat, dumb, and happy. 
and then the whole world explodes, just explodes. And it hasn't gotten back to normal yet, has it? Um, and so, you know, what, what we have to learn, of course, is, is even if we're supposed to bear fruit, but what are we supposed to do first when he talks about the vine? Uh, abide in me and I in you. So, I mean, what Peter had to learn was Peter had to abide. He had to learn uh, to abide in Jesus. So let me ask you this. Imagine you're standing at the seashore and you've, you've just discovered it's Jesus that's standing on the seashore with you. Um, what would he say to you? With Peter, he asked him, do you love me? What do you think Jesus would say to you? How do you think Jesus would challenge you in that moment by the seashore? What, what is it that you need to hear from Jesus? I mean, I think, I think on my own, in, in my own life is, is, is I do need to hear that, you know, John, you're not in charge. You're not in charge. And your expectations are not going to get you where you need to go that you need to trust me, and uh, you need to rest in me. So why don't y'all talk about, what are, what are some things God might talk, Jesus might talk to you about on that seashore breakfast?
All right. What just just kind of what are some what are, what are some things that make it hard for us to listen to Jesus? What are some things that make it hard? All the busyness. Yeah. What else? What's that? We're, yeah. That's right. All the other noise. That's right. That's right. You know, in the, this final story of Peter that, that Rodney talks about, uh, Rodney, you, you kind of make a kind of shocking uh, suggestion uh, it's, that's a unique idea that it's only at this moment where Jesus three times asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? And then he says, of course, feed my sheep or feed my lambs. It's only at that moment that Peter really does truly confess Christ as Lord. It's, it's his conversion moment. Um, it, you know, I, I can't, I, I, I don't know, I, it, I think it, that's a reasonable a, option. I never thought of it before, but as, you, as I think about it, I think it's a reasonable option to think that it's only at this moment that he really does come and see and hear and believe. It's in that moment of, of his commissioning to, to go out, do you, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Rodney then goes on to talk about conversion. Now, Rodney, you suggest that in your tradition, it's kind of one and done. You get saved, you get your name in the book, and you just do the right things. After, well, you don't even really have to do that, but it's proof that you're saved, that you do the right things. Once saved, always saved. Now, on the other hand, my tradition, the, the fallacy, that, that's the fallacy of the Baptist tradition, not the truth of the Baptist position. The fallacy of my, and this is interesting in Methodists, because Wesley um, actually heard it from some Anabaptists, uh, some pilgrims and some, some Moravians, this idea that it, was, it wasn't new to him, but it kind of caught him off guard. It's this idea that you must be born again, right? That you, you really need to be born again. Um, and I think in a lot of Methodist, in, I, I'm sure, I'm, now my dad was my preacher, so I'm sure he told me this, but I didn't hear it. And that, of course, this is true for all of us. We hear what we want to hear. I heard that all you had to do is just be a part of the church. You didn't have to have any kind of particular experience. You just had to be in church. You just had to sing the hymns and go to Sunday school and give some money and you were good. And I, of the two, I prefer Rodney's to mine. <laughs> because at least in Rodney's, there was this experience that you needed to have with Jesus Christ. You needed an experience of his grace. And, uh, and you do. That, uh, and what's ironic, and this idea of experiential, what's ironic is, again, John Wesley, that was his whole shtick. That was his whole message. That, and that's what got him in trouble. I don't know if you know, but John Wesley, in the first 20 years of his ministry, was viciously attacked. I mean, people wrote letters. They kicked him out of churches. They wouldn't let him preach in his daddy's 
church that he'd been in for decades. They wouldn't let him in. He preached on his daddy's tombstone. <laughs> they couldn't kick him out of that. Uh, there's stories about mobs hurting him, beating him up, all because he said it's not enough just to be baptized. It's not enough just to go to church, that you need to have an experience uh, of God's grace. And, that, and that, was, that was Wesley's message throughout. And this idea of, of hearing and confessing, of coming and seeing, of experiencing, um, is really the heart of the Gospel of John. Of course, it is in the Gospel of John, talking to Nicodemus, that, that you remember what he says to Nicodemus? He says, you must be, you must be born again. That, that, that conversation that leads up to John 3, 16, that you, you know, you need to be born again. So, I, I'd like, you, you don't have to do this, but let me share with you my own experience of conversion. And then, if you would, Kind of talk about, now let, let me say one more thing about conversion. One of the great things that Rod, points Rodney's making is that it it's often takes time. You know, you, you may have one experience, and I did. I had a number of experiences along the way before I really made a final confession of faith in Jesus Christ. And that may be your story too. So I was in college. Like I said, I'd read the Beatitudes. I, I just... I decided maybe I was an agnostic, which I love that word. It's no knowledge. You know, as a freshman at college, I'm not sure that doesn't describe me now, not in terms of my belief in God, but just how much I know. Uh, and, and I, you know, I, even in my, my spring, the spring semester, they had a group of people who teach transcendental meditation come and talk to us about taking a course in transcendental meditation which is kind of Eastern Hindu kind of stuff. And so I even, you know, was considering doing that because I always believed in, in that idea of John 14 that, that Jesus made his home in us. And even though I hadn't experienced that, the idea that, that there was no God and Jesus was not my Savior, it, it, was, kind of, it was really sad to me, right? I mean, I was sad about it. I wasn't mad. I've never been mad at the church. I've never been mad at God or Jesus, but I, I hadn't experienced it, you know, that come and see. I had not experienced the grace of God in a kind of a, a concluding way. And so that summer I went home to my parents' house to, to spend the summer with my parents. And uh, I was trying to figure out a way to get my dad to give me $150 to go this transcendental meditation course. Didn't think he'd do it. Didn't think he'd be for that. And I didn't have any money. And, and I, you know, I, th I think the Holy Spirit finally got through to me. And uh, I, I just knelt by the side of my bed in uh, Arkadelphia. That's where my dad was pastor. And I just said, Lord, I, I don't want to believe in you because it makes me feel better. I don't want to believe in you just because... I'm supposed to. I want to believe in you because I have experienced your love. And I don't know how to explain it. I wish I did, Rodney. I wish I could bottle it and give it to you as a technique because there's no such thing as a technique. But in that moment, I, I felt my heart, as John Wesley famously said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. You know, I just, just had this incredible emotional experience.
uh, of God's presence. And that's, you know, that idea of come and see whatever else has happened to me. I mean, that's kind of been at the center of my life. Take a moment. Take a moment. Just, just share when it was that you really saw, that you really saw and confessed Jesus Christ. Just take a moment and talk to somebody about that. Just briefly about a moment or a moment when you really felt his grace. Go ahead and talk about that. I guess that's really not near enough time to do what I ask you to do, but just to get you talking. Um, I don't, like I said, I don't know, when we talk about coming and seeing, 
I absolutely believe, and I think you do too, that that if people just just well, Jesus said in, in Matthew seven, asking asking it shall be given to you, seek and ye shall find, knock and the door will be open. Uh, and it's just this idea, but the but but what it says there is is keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. It's a it's a continual thing, and salvation is like that too, right? Uh, Rodney makes the point that. This idea that you're, you're, you're saved and then there's nothing else to do other than just be a good church person is just a terrible idea and not at, all, not at all in keeping with what John said. This idea of the struggle of salvation. You know, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Does that mean we're not saved and we've got to continually work for our salvation? Even an old Methodist would say no. <laughs> certainly Baptists would certainly say no. But what it does mean, and the fact that you're here, right? The fact that you're here, it means you're working out your salvation. Uh, you, you don't have to be here on a Friday night with Omicron still spreading. And, I mean, who knows who's sick in here? I... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Rodney goes, not a one, John. Shut up. <laughs> but you're here to work out your salvation, aren't you? I mean, that's kind of what we're all what we're all about. We, and not that we aren't saved, but so I love the idea. I have been saved. I am being saved, and I will be saved. I mean, because because I will not be entirely saved until I'm entirely dead. Right. I mean, I, 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 I will never be done. I will always be pressing on. As Paul says in Philippians 3, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own, right? I mean, so part of, part of the come and see, we don't ever stop coming to see. We don't ever stop confessing. We don't ever stop incarnating. We never stop abiding. Those things are going on all at the same time, all the way through our lives. Um, how many of you have read Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life? Gosh, look at that. My goodness. Well, if you haven't, um, you know, somebody asked me, what's a good book to explain Christianity? And I realized Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life is a really good introduction to Christianity. Um, and so I would encourage you, if you hadn't read Purpose Driven Life, I encourage you not only to read it, but be ready to give it to somebody and encourage them to read it. Uh, because it, re it really is a wonderful book about the journey of the Christian life. And as uh, Rodney talked about, his little checklist in his little Baptist church, you know, we actually kind of had the same thing, Rodney. I mean, we didn't, uh, I mean, we had the little uh, Sunday school bars for perfect attendance. I mean, my gosh, if you had five or six years of perfect attendance, that had to mean you were a really good Christian, right? I mean, it just stands to reason that if you're in church that much, you're going to be a great Christian. But, of course, what... What, what was really wonderful about Rick Warren's book is that he talked about the different phases of the Christian life and how you live them out, right? Worship, small group, and service, and missions, and 
Can anybody else remember Bible reading, I guess? I don't, I don't, oh my gosh, I used to. Discipleship, thank you, yeah. So let me ask you this. Did you ever have a checklist? Just instead of breaking up, just tell me, tell me some of the things. This, maybe as a kid, maybe, as, maybe a misconception you had. What are some checklists you had of things you had to do to be a Christian? Can I give you one? I still kind of think this. It's really hard for me. And this is where me and Baptists get along really well. Now, a lot of my Methodist folks, they forgot about this a long time before I did. I go to parties. And I'm, I'm, I'm really nice and I'm smiling. I don't like alcohol. I don't like alcohol. And I know even Baptists now, Ronnie, I bet some of your Baptist men people, I know they don't say hi to each other in the liquor store, but I bet they, some of y'all out there, you're drinking. Now, is there anywhere in the Bible that says you can't drink? Not one place. I mean, Jesus, what did Jesus do? It's an embarrassing story for us teetotaling Methodists and Baptists. He, did, he changed water into wine. I don't mean a little wine. I mean enormous amounts of wine. Okay, some preachers will say, well, it was, it was really grape juice. <laughs> Bless their hearts. But, I mean, I still don't like alcohol. I mean, I've, I mean, the shocked the, the, the great one of the great shocks of my ministry one of the, as a young pastor one of the great shocks of my ministry was alcohol I had no idea how devastating alcohol was to people's lives none and I walked into this church and just I thought boy there's a bunch of drunks in this church <laughs> or their kids are drunks or their spouses are drunks or their grandparents are drunks I mean there was drunks everywhere and then I realized well shoot that's everywhere. So, but, but just talking about a checklist, you know, I, I, I see somebody drinking and I just kind of go, you know, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do, right? So, I, I guess, I, I just, Christianity is really not about any particular uh, obedience to rules in general. It's actually, as Rodney says, it's, it's hearing, it's confessing, it's incarnating, and it's abiding. I mean, those are the marks of a Christian, not whether you drink or not, or whether you have perfect attendance in Sunday school and church, although we are really appreciative of you if you do. And, and praise God for all you tithers out there. But but none of that, none of that, none of that excuses you from, from, uh, from hearing and confessing and incarnating and abiding in Christ. I mean, those are the central features of the Christian life. And, and, uh, and Rodney and Rick Warren and so many other people have pointed those out to us. So would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here who are willing to come out on a cold Friday night to, to just abide in your word, to, uh, to rest in your promises, to be challenged, Lord, to, uh, to, to be more and more in, in, incarnational in how we live out our lives in you. And Father, I ask you to help me and help them 
to, to more and more work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And the people of God said together, Amen. Amen.